Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. God is so good, so faithful. Amen, amen. Can I see any hands that were healed in the last two days? There we go. Hallelujah. Look at the hands. I walked in. The beautiful lady in the back said she came into service, and she declared, I'm going to go home and sit Indian style. And she said she said that because she has arthritis in her knees, and she can't sit Indian style. She got healed yesterday, last night, and sat all evening in Indian style with no pain. Hallelujah. Listen, family, God is in the business. God is in the business of healing his people. He is in the business of setting his people free. He is in the business of bringing us into wholeness. That is God's heart. I told the ladies yesterday, we do not have to convince God to do what he said he would do. Healing was not our idea. Deliverance was not our idea. Freedom was not our idea. He promised us those things. It is a promise from his heart. And so I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for letting me come. Such an honor. I know I've been a pastor for many years. When a pastor hands you a mic, it's a great trust. And I don't take that lightly. So thank you for welcoming me into your house. This is home for me because I love, I love Anna. Anna has been my child for, I don't know, since she was a little rug rat running around. Evangel Church, and uh, we got a chance to walk as for many, many years together. We'll continue to walk many, many years together. Um, and that's how I met the Vinians, and we had a chance to just build family and watch God do great things through them and continue to do great things through them. Give you a little bit of history about me just quickly because I want to get into the word. But I've been in ministry since I was 15 years old. I started pastoring when I was 19 years old, have pastored country churches, city churches, storefront churches, mega churches. I know I look like I'm a Puerto Rican from Brooklyn, and I sound like a Puerto Rican from Brooklyn, but I am Egyptian. And so I was raised in New York City, but I now pastor in New Jersey. Um, and I pastored, my last church was 15 years in a, in a mega church, about 1,500 people, where I was sort of like the executive pastor. I kind of ran a lot of the ministries and a lot of the things, and I was there for a really long time. And then my heart became undone. So only way I can explain it to you. I have always known a big God. I got saved at four in a big church, and I saw God do great things, and I have never expected less than that. I told Nicole I have a childhood dream that's still my dream. I used to sit in the front row. I didn't go to Sunday school. with My little pigtails, waiting for God to do stuff. That was me as a kid, and my dream then was to walk into a hospital and empty a hospital. That's a dream of my heart. Can I tell you, it's still my dream. It's still my dream. I wanted one Sunday, unctioned by the Spirit, go, do out, let's go. <laughs> let's go. You got the children's wing. I got this wing. Let's empty the place. Let's empty the place. That is still in my heart. I'm just waiting for the, for the unction to do it, and then I'm going to go, you know, because I believe that's God's heart. And so I pastored there, and then as, as time went on, I just... If I'm real, the condition of the church was driving me crazy. There was something about the church in America. I was like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Why do we look like this? And let me tell you, the beggar church is a whole different animal. It is all about the consumerism, not about the discipleship. It is about, I don't like the music, I don't like the air, I don't like my chair, I'm, my father helped build this building. <laughs> and you're like, do you, do you even understand what we're doing here? Do you even understand what we're doing here? People would walk in sick and leave sick. The divorce rate in the church, the same as the world, 65%. 65%. You say, what, hold on. Christians on all types of anxiety medication. And if you're on that, please, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying I believe there's something better. I just believe there's something better. That's all. 
And if you're struggling and you need that, please, this is not judgment. I love you. I want better for you than for you to be medicated. I want you to be healed. Yes. But I would watch the church. And it was because the church of America started making all these little compromises. All these little compromises. And what happens when you make compromises is the power leaves. <laughs> you can't have compromise and power. They don't go together. You can't have both. And we started accommodating everyone's little annoyances. I love something Francis Chan said once. He said someone came to him in his church and said, Pastor, I wasn't feeling worship today. He goes, great, I'm glad we weren't worshiping you today. The first church I ever worked in, they sent this Brooklyn girl to go work in Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts. A country, I mean, can I, I was the brownest thing in town. Like, it was hilarious. Worship was with a banjo and a harmonica. I thought I was being filmed. This is some kind of cosmic joke that we're walking through. And you know what I did there? I worshiped. I worshiped. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. And so the American church became this compromised, comfortable thing. And I couldn't do it. And I, what I found out was what was happening to me was a holy discontent. It was the spirit of God that was undone in me. And God kept stirring me, kept stirring me. And I kept pushing the envelope. And I, kept, and I could only go so far. I could only go so far. And God began to say, I want you to take a step. I want you to step out of full-time ministry. I want you to step out. And I want you to be an igniter to my people. I want you to be a revivalist to the church. I want to bring my church into a revival. I want to make my church come alive again. And I need you to be a conduit for me to go to the churches and speak my word and allow my spirit to move in them. And so I took a step January 2020. I resigned from my church. I left my salary, everything I had there. And I went out and then... My whole year was planned of traveling and preaching and flying and blah, 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 blah. And March 2020 happened. But can I tell you something about God? You say yes to him. Everything else is his business. Everything else is business. You give him a reckless yes, God will take care of everything else. I didn't miss one thing. God took care. I thrived during a pandemic. I thrived during a pandemic. Why? Because God is for me. God is for me. So when I gave him my yes, God took care of everything else. And so in the midst of a pandemic, I built a prayer ministry online. And that prayer ministry has erupted, to tell you the least. People wanted to pray. People wanted to pray. Churches were shut down. And pastors, in truth, a lot of pastors cowered. I'm, I'm a little real. That's the New York in me. Just roll with it. A lot of pastors cowered. What we found out and why a lot of churches have not come back the way they, they should is because people said, whatever you're preaching, you don't believe. You don't believe it. You got scared. And you could get scared for a minute. But clean off your shoes and let's go. I called a pastor friend of mine because I was watching his broadcast and I said, you look terrified. What are you doing? And this was his answer to me. There are people like you who when this thing happens, things like this happen, you become like a lion. And then there are people like me that need a minute. I said, your minute's over. Your minute's over. Let's go. We need people to lead. We need generals to come forward. We need people now to be inspired. Catch your breath and let's go. Let's get to work. Let's get to the business. But what happened was, because there was not the leadership present, people began to flock to the prayer meeting. And they began to get direction. They began to get instruction. We began to pray. God began to move. We had a woman healed. We, you know, she's in Florida. I don't know this woman. She was unsaved when she came on the prayer meeting. She got saved on the prayer meeting. Then I didn't know anything about her. She was in a wheelchair. Had no idea. I prayed. I said, there's some of you that are having back issues. You can't move your legs, blah, blah, blah. She, out of faith, said she felt like someone put a match in her back. She's unchurched. Wow. Someone put a match in her back. I said, now take a step. Do something you couldn't do before. So she stood up. <laughs> she stood up. 
completely and totally healed. Nobody prayed, physically laid hands on her. She began to walk around her house weeping. She didn't know what was happening. Her church experience, her God experience was so little. It was just the prayer meeting. She went to sleep. She woke up the next morning, moving around her house, weeping. She didn't know what to do. Her family, her unsaved family rung the doorbell. She ran to the door. She hadn't walked in four years. She ran to the door. She opened the door. She's jumping in front of her unsafe family. They're like, what is this? She said, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's what this is. This is Jesus. The next thing I know, this whole contingency of Florida is watching on the prayer meeting because her entire unsafe family is now watching. Her uncle was healed. Her aunt was healed. Members of her family are being saved. God is doing something tremendous. Because listen, we are called to be a house of prayer. That is who we are as a people. It is what shifts the atmosphere. It is what shifts everything. My pastor's wife, my church in New York City that I attend, my pastor's wife got COVID. She was fine. She was okay, a little sick. She was all right. And within 72 hours, it flipped from I don't feel good, I'm a little tired, to she has double pneumonia, get her to the hospital. Get in the hospital, okay, we'll give her some oxygen treatment. Within a day, she's on a vent. Yeah. Everything shut down. The doctor goes, three days, we'll take her off the vent, she'll be fine. Three days in, he called, he said, I'm so sorry. She's not going to make it. She has every complication of COVID. Her kidneys are shut, her lungs are shut. Please get her papers in order. We get the message. I'm on the prayer team. Ministry, we are praying. We've already been praying for her. We've already been declaring the word over her. I went to her Facebook page. I said, I want to put a picture up, up, up so the team knows who to pray for. Yeah. I go to her verse. The last one she posted was the verse we're going to use today. It said, stand firm and wait and see my deliverance. Yeah. I said, okay, from her mouth, we're going to prophesy people. So now thousands of people are praying for her. They don't know her, but we're family. They don't have to know her. So now they're praying for her. And I said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to call her by name. You're going to say, Emma, arise in the name of Jesus. Emma, your lungs will work in the name of Jesus. Emma, your kidneys. And they began to call her out and call her out and call her out. 24 hours. Every number shifted. Her kidneys that were dead started functioning. 100%. Her lungs started coming up. All of a sudden, everything is coming together. The doctor goes, listen, kidneys don't come back. If kidneys go, they're gone. They need medication and treatment to come back, and they will never function normally. Her kidneys are 100% in 24 hours. Her breathing is back. She preached Mother's Day. <laughs> Completely and totally healed. When she came off the vent, they FaceTimed me. I said, Miss Emma, tell me, tell me about your time. Like, what did you feel here when you were on the vent? She goes, I remember going to sleep. I remember waking up. She goes, but I do remember only one memory. I said, what's that? She said, people calling my name. People calling my name. Emma, Emma, like they were telling me to get up. I heard multiple, multiple voices calling me, telling me to get up. And so this prayer meeting has become an entity of its own. And you are all invited to pray with us. It is on online. You can just download my app. It'll give you a signal to pray. It's every Monday, every Thursday, 9, 15 p.m. Send us your prayer requests. We have a team of intercessors that pray. We want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. We want to see the miraculous move in your life because God is doing great things on earth. You want to know how to change a generation? Give you a little note right here. Don't tell them about what God used to do. Tell them about what God is doing. Tell them about a God that's doing something. They will run to the kingdom. Tell them about a God that heals, saves, delivers, set free. Tell them about a testimony in your life. They'll serve the Lord. They'll serve the Lord. We keep telling them about what God used to do. Tell them about what he's doing. Tell them about what he's doing. And so you have an opportunity to download my app today. You'll get a chance to to join the prayer meeting. There's also something that God has allowed me to build, which is called Monday Manna. It's a devotional. And there's going to be a special guest on this week's Monday Manna. I won't tell you who it is. You'll just see it when it comes up. But it's just a five-minute devotional that will come and, and be able to just center you for the week. It's just a word I speak over you. I've also, through the, this time period, have been able to write five books. And I was telling the ladies, it is hilarious that I wrote any books because I don't like to read or write. So... <laughs> 
for God to call me to write a book is really quite comical. But out of a simple yes, and I've learned to live in yes. I've learned to live in yes. God asked me a question. I tell God before you ask it, the answer is yes. Because I'm in. I believe you. I trust you. I'm in. And so he asked me to write a book. The first one, I was like, God, I'll do it. But this is crazy, but I'll do it. And a publisher called my church. He said the Holy Spirit led him to publish a book in this house. That he needed to walk with somebody. And he was going to take care of everything. And he's giving me his name. And I'm Googling him to make sure he's not some crazy person as he's talking to me on the phone. And he's Googling me at the same time. And that book that I wrote with my first book, which is The Courage to Live, went number one on Amazon in a week. And I called him and I said, hey, Neil, we're number one. He goes, girl, we ain't number one. There's no way. He's southern. And I said, well, go check. He checks. He goes, well, girl, guess what? We're number one. He goes, I don't know how this happened. You're nobody. I said, I agree. But obviously, God did something. Obviously, God did something. And from there, I've published four other books. The fifth one is here as well. The fifth one just got released in February. And that one's a very different book. It's a very different one. All four here, they're all beautiful. There's two devotionals and two courage books. But the last one is called The Courage to Stand. And as I was writing it, I remember the word that I got years ago in 2014 that when I wrote my fifth one, that it was going to be a very prophetic book. And I only remembered it when I was writing the fifth one. And it's a very prophetic book. It's called The Remnant Church Rise. The Remnant Church Rise. And it's a calling to the people of God to rise up in this hour, to be who we need to be, to understand the day and the hour that we live in. King Jesus is coming. His return is eminent, and he's returning for a bride that is ready, a bride like my father used to say with her boots on, ready to do the work of the ministry because he's coming. He's coming. And so all that you can find through the app. You'll have opportunity to hear sermons and all that, but it really is a gift to you to be able to just walk together and see how God is working in the universal church. So I have been traveling and preaching. I was sharing with your pastors what God is doing in multiple different settings. And in November uh, of last year, I started old-fashioned healing crusades. God had spoke to me. I've been used in healing, honored by God since I was like nine years old. I remember being nine years old, going to a hospital with a woman who really saw the call of God on my life. And let me tell you, don't ever underestimate a child. Don't ever underestimate a child. I was a children's pastor for a long time. My, my five-year-olds got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because they don't get a junior Holy Spirit. They get a full-flown, moving power Holy Spirit. Don't you pour into them. Pour into them. Give them opportunities to come to the altar. Give them opportunities to meet the power of God. I understand they need to know all the books of the Bible. I get all that. I taught them all that. But they have to experience God. Because what's against them is bigger. They need the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit to stand. To stand And so, I lost my thought on that one because I got excited for a minute. (laughs) Amen. Amen. But God is truly raising up a people to do his work because he's returning. And God is going to raise up this generation. And I'm excited to see what God is doing. But I am watching God do great mighty things. I say, the first prayer I ever prayed over was I was nine years old. Someone took me to a hospital with a woman that had cancer. Huge tumor. And I was a little kid. I'd never seen a tumor. And I was like, what's that? They said, it's cancer. And I said, what? She'll die? And they'll go, it'll choke her, it'll kill her. And my heart filled with compassion. And the root of any miracle better be compassion. I understand the, I understand we want to see power. I get that. But it has to be that you love. Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with, the fruit of that compassion was power. (laughs) don't get that twisted the fruit of the compassion was power but the heart had to be this isn't okay with me my this person's suffering this person's hurting and so as a little kid I put my hand on this tumor and I began to pray and I watched it vanish in front of my eyes completely and totally healed and so God has always uh, caused my heart to want to see the miraculous and healings and those kind of things and so many years, we've, I've used that, I've grown. But May of 2022, something else released from heaven. A different level of healing, 
Um, there's several people came up to me today, said they were healed in the service. Nobody prayed for them. It was just the atmosphere that was present. And um, in November of, of 2022, we started old-fashioned healing crusades. I mean, old-fashioned, bring the wheelchairs, bring the canes, come to the altar. No show, no nothing. I have two of my best friends that are worship leaders. I fly them in from Michigan. They are anointed. They flow. And we partner together. And we just pray for the sick. I teach. And we pray for the, for hours. For hours. I was laughing with Pastor Nicole. I did an altar. 400 people came. Me and my friend, Pastor Stephanie, who prays with me, she looked at me. I looked at her. I said, we got the wrong shoes, girl. We kicked them off because the shoes are gone now. We got 400 people to pray for. And we had lung cancer healed, fibromyalgia healed, tumors vanished, wheelchairs left. God just kept moving. Depression broken, anxiety broken, uh, mental illness broken, Alzheimer's broken in the name of Jesus. We just saw God move. And it continues to flow and what God is doing, because God is raising up a people. God is raising up a people. And I'm excited. Today, I want to share with you a message entitled Battle Ready. Battle Ready. Um, I could actually let worship go all day. That was, like, tremendous. I'm like, Lord, but you did give me a word. So, but if, you know, I was like, let's do it. But in, Jan in August of 2020, visions are a new part of what God is doing. I don't normally get visions, but I've gotten very strong visions since I stepped out in this role. New step, new giftings. That's how it works. New steps, new giftings. And so in August of 2020, I was looking at social media, and I saw a denomination come up. And I won't say what denomination it was. But they said that they would now embrace same-sex marriages. They would now be okay with them, and they would perform same-sex marriages. It's a major denomination. And I looked at it and I kept reading it thinking, I got to misunderstand this. Because now I'm watching an entire denomination fall away. And I said, Lord, what am I looking at? What in the world am I looking at? And I saw clear, the Lord. I saw sand. And he says to me, moving forward, there will no longer be a line in the sand. He said, there will be a line in cement. It'll be a clear line. It'll be divided. There will no longer be denominational lines. There will only be two churches that are left. There will be the corrupt, itchy ear, culture-driven, emotionally charged church, and they will use the title church, and then there will be the remnant. And there will only be two that are left. That's it. There'll only be two. And that's throughout scripture. The wheat and the tear. The goat, and the, the goat and the sheep. It's throughout scripture. He said there's going to be two. There's going to be remnants from the Catholic church, from the Baptist church, from the Pentecostal church. From the, there's going to be remnants. And there's going to be a corrupt church. And they will call themselves the church. And they will operate thinking they're the church. But they will be part of the falling away. They will be part of those that Jesus warned about in Luke 21 when he took the disciples out to the temple. And he said, look, and the disciples are uh, so blessed. They're like, look how beautiful. And Jesus says, there's coming a day. There won't be one brick upon another. And the disciples are like, well, Lord, when's the day? Why? Because they want to get ready. We want to get food. We want to get water. And Jesus is like, pray that you're not deceived. Pray that you're not deceived because many will come in that day and say, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's the gospel, there's the gospel, there's the gospel. Don't believe any of them. Jesus would not warn us to pray for something that could not happen. If he tells them to pray not to be deceived, it's because there is a potential of being deceived. And so here comes this line in cement that started then in the spirit. Where God is separating. And all of us have watched the falling away. And we're going to continue to see it. We're going to continue to see people fall to culture. They're going to fall to the itchy ear. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what feels good. Tell me, tell me how to satisfy my heart. Well, the ladies, we talked this weekend about Jeremiah 17. Your heart is the most wicked and evil thing you own. You're not supposed to follow your heart. All these shows, just follow your heart. That's a lie. 
Don't follow your heart. So you have this corrupt church that's coming up. The Methodist church just ordained their first trans pastor. A man in full drag, wearing a tutu, a leather corset, holding the Bible, saying now it's time to deconstruct and reimagine Christianity. The blasphemy of it. How dare you hold the word of God and say those things? How dare you? But that's what you're going to continue to see is this reimagining and redefining of the word of God. But in the midst of it, there is a remnant. There is a remnant. And that remnant, listen to the definition of remnant. It's really simple. They remain true. They just simply remain true. They stay true to who God is, to what his word says. The difference is always going to be our posture to the word. That's always going to be the difference. The corrupt church is going to take the word and they're going to lord over it. I'll tell this word what it's saying. The remnant is going to go under it. Whatever it says, I become. Whatever it speaks, I become. That's the difference. The remnant's going to say, no, God, this is wrong. Then it's wrong. I'm not supposed to do that, God. Then that's it. That's what I'm supposed to do, God. That's it. They live completely surrendered and yielded. They don't reimagine anything. They don't recreate the word of God. They submit to it. They submit to it. But the corrupt church is going to hold the word. And they're going to speak the word. And they're going to declare the word. Because the enemy did it. The enemy did. And this season that we're going about to see, it's going to get deeper and deeper. But there's a great picture that sits in the Louvre. It's called Checkmate. You guys ever hear this? Anyone, any chess players in the room? So this master chess player is taking a tour in the Louvre, and it's called Checkmate. So he's standing there with the tour and everyone leaves and he's still standing there. They come back, they find him. It's a long time. He goes, so are you ready to go? He goes, no, I'm not. He said, well, he goes, I'm a master chess player. I play all around the world. He said, this picture's wrong. He said, what do you mean? He goes, this is like an antique, you know, expensive. And he's like, I don't care what it is. It's wrong. Why? He goes, because the king still has one move. <laughs> the king still has one move. He goes, but he looks like he's cornered. He might look like he's cornered, but he's the king. <laughs> and the king still has a move, right? It might look like we are numbered. It might look like everything is coming around us, but the king still has the move. King Jesus still has the move. The king has yet to show his hands. And when he shows his hands, when he shows his hands, I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says the, the word of God is like a line. Don't defend it. Just unleash it. It'll defend itself. It'll unleash itself. It doesn't need us to defend it. It just needs us to walk in it. And so as we talk about getting battle ready, I want to talk to you today from the story of Jehoshaphat. I want you to look today with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to give you a little bit of history on it. You with me, church? Jehoshaphat is a righteous king, but he's given notice that three armies have surrounded him. He is surrounded. He's outnumbered. He's a man of war, but this is more than he could ever imagine fighting. They are massive. And he's been given notice that they're a couple of days away, and he has to figure out what to do. So Jehoshaphat's not a foolish man. He calls a fast. They begin to seek God. They begin to pray. They begin to fast. And he calls for the prophets. <laughs> Smart plan. Get people that can hear God. Let's get on our face and let's start praying. And no food. <laughs> let's figure this out. Because <laughs> we are in trouble. May that be our response. May that be our response. Get on our face. Start fasting. And get some people around us. 
that are prophetic and can hear what God is doing or God is saying. So Jehoshaphat sends a battle plan for us because we as the people of God, as the remnant people, we need to understand that God is preparing us. We're not ready yet, but we're getting ready. Amen. There is a readiness to what he's doing because this is the deal. This is the deal. Revival is not an event. Revival is us. Revival comes in us. We are revival. We are revival. People keep waiting for an event. No, we are the event. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, I raise up a standard. What is that standard? That standard is you and I. People keep waiting for something else to happen. Nothing else is happening. We're it, folks. The hope of the world is the church of Jesus Christ. And there has always been a standard by God. Where there was a Goliath, there was a David. Where there was a Pharaoh, there was, there was a, a Moses. Each one has a counter. And in our time, when there was a Karl Marx marching the earth with his demonic agenda, he took over Germany because there was nobody there. And he marched himself into London and tried to take London. But he couldn't take London. Why? Because there was a man named Charles Spurgeon in his podium. And Charles Spurgeon preached him right out of London. He said, not on my watch. No way. London belongs to Jesus. Get out. And preached him right out. And in this time when the world has gone crazy and there is a corrupt church and an anti-God agenda everywhere around us. Everywhere around us. God is raising up a remnant people and he's preparing a remnant people to do the work in this hour. And if you don't think that our situation matches Jehoshaphat, you are mistaken. There are armies surrounding us. I heard yesterday, I was telling Pastor Dave, I heard yesterday someone describing Christians like Nazis. That they feel like they're hunted. Like, like, the, like the Jews were by the Nazis because of the Christians. And all I'm thinking is, nobody walked into your school and shot up your kids. This is a, a confused narrative. Someone walked into a Christian school and shot up our kids. We didn't walk anywhere near you. But Satan is spinning this narrative against the church. In Jersey, I know you don't have this here yet, but in Jersey... They are giving children videos on how to self-pleasure themselves in fifth grade. Fifth grade. We are fighting school boards all over New Jersey. All over New Jersey. If you don't think that we're in the same condition, you'd be mistaken. We are at war. There is an enemy that's put a mark on the church. And he says, I'm going to surround them. I'm going to surround them. The same way they surrounded Jehoshaphat. And so our response has to be the same. We need to go into prayer. We need to be in fast. We need to get the ear of God. And so Jehoshaphat does that. And he begins to cry out to God. And he prays very, very meticulously about all the things that God has done already. And he comes down to this verse. And he says this. I'm going to read it to you. And he says, we have no power against this great, vast army that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But our eyes are on you. And he continues to pray. And then a man of God comes out and he says this, listen, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, O King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord God, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. But God's tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come at you and you will find at the end of the brook before the wilderness, you will not need to fight this battle. Posture yourself, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord that will come to you. Don't be afraid. Tomorrow you will see your deliverance. I want you to hear this because this is, this is us family. I want you to hear me today. This is us. They are surrounded. They are surrounded. That song that we do about being surrounded, this is it. <laughs> this is the premise of that song. They are surrounded. He is, he is outnumbered on every end, outmanned, outgunned. But he comes to the Lord. And he said, Lord, I don't know what to do against this vast army. He's humble, God. I don't know. I'm king. And I don't know what to do. But my eye is on you. My eye is on you. My eye is on you. I'm looking to you. I'm not shifting, God. I'm right here. I am looking to you, God. 
Why? Because he understands that what's at him is bigger than him. But it's not bigger than their God. It's not bigger than God. Listen to me. What's coming at the church is bigger than us. We have to know that. It's bigger than us. It's not bigger than God. It's not bigger than God. You're not hearing me. It's not bigger than our God. God is for his people. God is for his people. I shared a story with the women, and Pastor Dave wanted me to share it today because I want to show you how God operates in his people. I, I did a missions trip to Africa, and we were doing a huge crusade. And as we were doing this crusade, we were preaching about healing. Me and my friend who's a missionary there, his name is Brian. And as we're preaching about healing, this woman comes up with her lame child. Child's about four years old. She throws the child on the altar. She said, heal him. <laughs> how many go, oh, <laughs> Okay, God. But like, I'm in. Listen. We begin to pray. And as we begin to pray, the child's completely healed. The child jumps up and starts running around the arena that we're preaching in. Hundreds of people are there. He starts running, 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 running. As he does that, now every boo-boo in the room wants prayer. I got to cut here. I got to scratch here. My hours of praying for people that are sick. And God is healing. God is moving. It's tremendous. Everyone is thrilled except the nine Muslim police officers in the back. They are ticked off because the name of Jesus is being glorified. So they are watching us and they are angry. And I can see them, but I'm not engaging it with doing what we're doing. Then we finish cleaning up. We pack up. We drive back to the hotel. They follow us back to the hotel. They come up to us and they said, um, you guys broke the law. I said, we broke the law. He said, you broke the law. And my friend is like, well, what, what law did we break? They're speaking in Swahili to one another. What law did we break? He goes, I'm not going to discuss it now. I just need your passports. Your passports. I don't know how many of you traveled internationally. You'd rather give your liver than your passport. Take my liver. You want my kidney? But don't take the passport. Like, the passport, we don't give away. And I looked at Brian. I said, what do we do? He said, we don't have a choice. We have to give them the passports. So we hand them all nine of our passports, and they vanish. So the team looks at it. It's my team. What do we do? I said, no, we're good. We'll, we'll figure it out tomorrow. They're going to say, I grab her. I said, Brian, what do we do? He's like, he's like, we're going to pray. We're going to pray and just have God to step in. I said, okay. So we're praying. We're fasting now. We're crying out to God. We go the next morning. The police officers were going back and forth with them, and they turned to me, and they go, look, pastor, this is it. He said, your passports are in this hand. He said, if I give them to you, my hand is going to be very lonely. What are you going to put in my hand so that my hand's not lonely? So I shook his hand. And he turned and he goes, oh, she doesn't understand. I said, no, she does. She does. I said, but I'm not going to give you a bribe. He said, what do you mean? A couple hundred dollars and this is over. I said, no, I'm sorry, I won't do that. I won't give you a bribe. And the pastors from the area are pulling at me, go, listen, this is how it works here. I said, I won't do it. I won't do it. We walk out and the pastors are mad at me from the area. They're like, a couple hundred dollars and this is over. Now they can hold your passports as long as they want. I said, I cannot preach a gospel of integrity and have no character. I can't do it. I said, how do I come back and preach? How do I come back to this place and be known as the one that paid a bribe? That's not going to do It's not well for the kingdom. They said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to trust my God that sent me here. God is going to do something for us. And they walk away angry. My friend who's a missionary says, you did the right thing. Now let's go pray. Because <laughs> now, now when he got to show up, we don't have another plan. There's no plan B. There's no, there's no, this is not America you call the supervisor. They are the supervisor. There's no one to call. There's no, they're all in it together. This is, this is, they're all work together. There's no way around this in the natural. So we go back and we begin to pray and we're eating dinner. And this man comes by, this big guy. And this is not a five-star hotel. This is a, a regular hotel in the middle of, it's not a fancy anything. He comes and he's walking with two soldiers that have bullets across their body. And I, I would love to tell you that the Holy Spirit prompted me to do this. He did not. I knew a bunch of Swahili, fancy guy with my Swahili. So I greeted him. He turned. He looked at me. He answered me back. I knew what he said. I answered him. We went back five sentences. He went a six sentence. I'm like, no, no, I got five. That's it. He started laughing. He goes, you speak very good Swahili. I said, thank you. He said, how do you know it? I said, well, this missionary thought that it would be good for me to learn 
some of the customs that are here so I can greet his people. He said, and you did that. I said, I did. It's very kind of you. Welcome to my town. And he walked away. So now in Africa, they say that all the time. Welcome to my town. Welcome to my village. Welcome to my home. They're very, very accommodating. Keribu, that's the word they use. Everything is keribu. Welcome. You're welcome. So I thought nothing of it. The next day we go down to the police station. We're arguing with these men. They're in the room. I'm outside the door and we're arguing back and forth to get my passports. What crime did we commit? Is there a fine? We're trying to figure out how to get our passports back. As I'm going back and forth and we have prayed, we have saw God, we were up all night praying. My friend, that guy, walks in the police station. So I look and I see him. He sees me, he goes, my friend. And I go, hey, he goes, are you okay? I said, no. And as I'm talking to him, these police officers start doing this. I see them backing up and I'm reading the room. So I'm like, they're afraid of him. They're scared of him. Okay. He said, why are you not having a good day? I said, our passports were taken. He said, what? I said, our passports were taken. He steps in the room like thunder. He said, who took your passports? I said, them right over there. They took my passports right there. All nine of them, those guys right there. They took my passports. He puts out his hand. Give me their passports. They put all nine in his hand. He turns and says, I'm very sorry. Here you go. He said, what did they stop you from doing? I said, they canceled our crusades. We had three more booked. They took away our sound permits. And we now have no more roadies or people to help us set up and take down. He said, can you stay longer here? I said, I can. He goes, I'll give you back your three days on me. Your sound permit is on me. He goes, and don't worry about hiring any roadies or anybody else. These men, they work for you now. They now work for you. They became my security. They set up the sound system. They took down the sound system. They picked up our lunch. They drove us back and forth to the hotel. They were now my employees. Listen, what's coming at us is bigger than us. It's not bigger than our God. It's not bigger than our God. And so here Jehoshaphat is seeing this vast army. And he's saying, God, they're bigger than me, but I'm looking at you. And I said that in Africa, I don't know what to do, but God, I'm looking at you. God, do it, God. You have to do it. And God answers from him. And he says, do not be afraid of this vast army. The battle's not yours. It's mine. It's mine. But he gives this caveat. I want us to focus in on this. He says, but get in your position. Get in your position. And that's interesting to me. If I'm not going to fight, you're going to fight. Why do I have to get in position? We have to be in a posture. We have to be in a posture. Everything about our walk with God is about a posture. Everything is about our posture. And God says, get into a posture. I'm going to do the work for you. You're not going to have to lift a sword. But I need you in a posture. In a posture. What is the posture of the remnant people? It is a posture of surrender. It is a posture of holiness. It is a posture of righteousness. There is a posture that the people of God need to look like in this battle that we're in. There's a posture. We have to be postured before the Lord. Why? Because what's going on around us can absorb us. And we have to be in a posture of absolute surrender. Surrender. Everything is on the table. Hear me, everything is on the table. Child of God, listen to me. Live your life with your hands open. You don't hold anything. You don't hold anything. Everything is open. Live your life in holiness. Listen, the church has forgotten that word. We got to get back to that word. We got to get back to that word. We are called to be a righteous people. We are called to be people that stand for the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, I want to talk to the men for a minute. Because I think men are so incredibly powerful in this thing that we're in. And the enemy has come for the, for the idea of masculinity and the idea of manhood. 
He has come for and I want to hear I want you to hear me this morning men of God there is a voice missing in all of this it's your voice we have this picture of masculinity which is Harry Styles on the cover of Vogue in a dress and that's supposed to be a man and then we flip it the other way and we have the Andrew Tates womanizing and all kinds of other life but they're strong in there and men and men are somewhere in the middle no there is a voice that is missing. The book of Psalms says this. Where is the righteous man's voice? Why is he silenced? That's the voice we need, men. We need your voice. We need your general's voices beginning to cry out and taking your position as men of God saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to show you what a man is. A man prays. A man seeks. A man provides. A man is a protector. Do you know why the world seems so unsafe? Because men have moved their places. No, their places front and center, protecting and shielding and guarding. Men, we need you. We need you to be the men of God of the house, to be the men of God around. There was this school in Florida that was a hot mess. Crime was off the charts. Well, there was enough fathers in that school that said, hey, that's our job. They started building their shifts at work around going into the school. They weren't policing the school. They were just helping things move along. Telling their daddy jokes, but they had a presence. Men have a presence. Men have a presence. And that presence is missing. It's missing. It's missing in the world, and it's missing in the church. We need men in position. There is a different sense. You think, well, women, women won't submit. They'll submit to a man of God. A man, a man who's standing in a position, absolutely, I'm a strong woman. Give me a man of God and his authority. And so God is saying, men, get in your position. Get in your position. Stand, be righteous. Let your word and your actions match. Let it match. Let your words be of righteousness. Let your heart be of prayer. Stand in your position. God will do it. Gotta do it. And he's looking for his people to get in this position of war. We understand what's there. We understand what's coming. We're in position. God will do the work. We'll watch it. We'll watch God knock things down. We had a governor in New York City when COVID was at its highest. Off the charts. And we prayed, took to the prayer meeting. We began to pray. We said, Lord, these numbers have to come down. People are dying all over New York City. And we prayed all night. Prayer meetings were happening all over. The next day, the COVID number dropped by 70. It was crazy. And the mayor of New York City, the governor actually came on, and he said, I heard that some prayer meetings and some Christians are trying to take credit for the numbers dropping in COVID. He goes, let me just make this clear. God did not do this. With his finger up to heaven, God did not do this. I did this. And I'm, I started laughing. I said, Nebuchadnezzar, silly what you just did. You're so silly. You really, like, you couldn't be that dumb. There's no way. With your finger up to God, saying, God did not, nobody came for you. Why are you coming for us? <laughs> We've been praying for you. Why are you coming for us? But put his finger up to God and said, God did not do this. I did this. Count seven months. He's out. He's out. Because God will handle his business. God will handle his business. We didn't have to touch him. We just had to be in our position. You just have to be in your position, child of God. You have to be in your place. God will do what he does. God will do what he does. He's just looking for people that are battle ready in their position. Walking in holiness, walking in righteousness, walking circumspectly, walking whole, walking whole. Can I tell you, it's time for us to get rid of the things that hold us down. There's struggles in your life, they need to come to the cross. There's brokenness in your life, you need to bring it to the cross. You need to allow God to do what only God can do. God wants to raise up a people. He wants to raise up a people for the work of the kingdom. And he's looking to build his people. He's looking to build his people. And I believe this is a remnant house. I feel it. I know it. 
I know your pastors. I know their hearts. But a remnant people, they are in the word. Listen, listen. One of the, one of the, sh- the marks against the church is that we are undisciplined. Can we just own it together in this room? That it's a true criticism of the church. We got a lot of desire. We don't have much discipline. Desire will get you nowhere. You guys know if you want a six pack, you can put your feet up. But as long as you got your feet up and you're eating cake, you're not going to have a six pack. You can draw it with a marker, but it's not legit. You want to be a size four? It's great. It's great, but as long as you're eating uh, pasta all day, you're going to dream that. That's going to be a fantasy in your mind. What has to happen to be posture ready is that desire has to now match discipline. It can't just be a desire. And that's the, that's the markers of the church is that we don't just desire to be giants in the kingdom. We work at it. Salvation is free. Everything else is work. Everything else is work. You want to be a man or woman of God? It requires work. It requires discipline. But that is what posture ready means. Is that I'm doing the work of the kingdom. I am growing in God. I am seeking God. I am cleaning my life. I'm walking in righteousness. I'm seeking healing in every area of my life. Because I want to be in position. It's a full-time job, church. There's no part-time Christians. It's a full-time job. And God is looking to raise up a people. And then when Jehoshaphat gets there and he hears this word, God says, just wait, you'll see my deliverance tomorrow. When they reach their enemy, their enemy is already dead. God killed them. He took care of them right there. Our enemy will be defeated because King Jesus is going to show his hand. The only difference is this. Will we be the people he uses or we are not? What is our story? Because God's going to do what he does. The same way uh, Esther's uncle told her. He said, listen, God is going to do what he does. But you and your family, you won't have any part in it. I've decided, God, I'm in. I'm in, God. I will get posture ready for whatever you're going to do. Because God is going to do a work on the earth. I am so excited. It is the greatest day in history to be a Christian. Imagine this. Moses could be here. He's not. David could be here. He's not. Daniel could have been here. He's not. We are here. We are trusted by God to be here in this hour. Let's rise up. Let's be God's remnant people. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.